0: Father, You truly are incredibly beautiful. And words fall so far short of describing that. And yet this morning, we pray that Your Word would speak to us. That Your Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to more fully receive You and to have a hunger and desire for more of You. Lord, we want to be best friends with You. We want to open our hearts fully to You. Would You take over in this place? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. All of the children filed into the cafeteria, they sat down at the table, but but this morning it was a little bit different. There was no food on the table, there was, in fact, if you had gone into the kitchen, you would find that there was absolutely no food anywhere in all of the cafeteria. There was no opportunity, seemingly, for them to have breakfast. In fact, if you went to the administration of this orphanage, you would have found out that They didn't even have money to go and buy food if the opportunity were given them to buy food. And yet the children came in and they sat down for breakfast and an elderly gentleman also walked in. This is a picture of him. And and he said, Children, children, we must not be late for school. Let's bless the food which we are about to eat. So he says, let's pray. Father... For this food which we are about to eat we just want to thank you for you are good and you provide for us in the name of Jesus I pray amen. amen and almost before he had said amen there was a knock at the door true story a knock at the door and, and so he goes to the door he opens the door and there is the baker and he's got trays full of bread and he said, I, I don't know if, if you could use this bread. I don't know if there's a possibility that this would be helpful to you, but, but God woke me up at 2 a.m. this morning and said, you need to bake some bread for the orphanage. Hallelujah. Amen. So George Mueller said, go ahead, bring the bread in. As he's bringing the bread in, almost before he had finished, the milkman comes in from outside and he says, I don't know what to do. My milk cart just broke down outside of your orphanage. The milk is going to spoil. Is there any possibility that you could just take the milk? Could the kids possibly use it? George Mueller said, sure, bring the milk in. And those children enjoyed breakfast. What gives a person the kind of audacity to pray a prayer like that, to, to bless the food that's not even in the cupboards, to really expect that, that God's going to show up for him like that? But, but George Mueller, this wasn't the only time he did this. In fact, over 63 years, he ran these orphanages and there was up to, in total, about 10,000 children were cared for in these orphanages. And during that time, he didn't run fundraising campaigns. In fact, he didn't go around asking people for any money. Except for one person, he did ask for money. You know who that was? Jesus. (laughs) The only one that he made known his needs to was his Father in Heaven. And he took this record, a detailed log of all the money that came in and it was like 1.4 million shillings, which today's money is like $150 million. I, I cannot begin to wrap my mind around that kind of money. That came into this, provide for these orphanages. And why did he even start this? Well one evening he was sitting by his fireplace and he was reading the Bible and he says that he got to Psalm chapter 84 and verse 10. He's there listening to Jesus. He's he's looking for Jesus. He's, he's making that time for friendship with Jesus like we've been talking about this week. And when he gets to Psalm 84, verse 10, he says, It was suddenly impressed upon my mind like it had never been impressed before what God says there. He says this, Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Amen. And he said, Suddenly I realized, I've never applied this to the idea of these orphanages and of being able to help the children get off the streets. God... I'm going to open wide my mouth and let you fill it. Where does that kind of faith come from? I mean, does somebody just wake up one morning and suddenly you're just going out like that and you have that kind of faith? What gives a person like George Mueller the confidence in God to be able to ask for big things like that? I want to invite you to check out a story in Joshua chapter 10 with me. In Joshua chapter 10, we find that the Israelites have entered the promised land. They've conquered Jericho. They've gone through some battles. They've seen some victories. They've had all kinds of challenges. But yet, in Joshua chapter 10, in verse 8, we find that Joshua is up against the biggest challenge yet. Five kings have banded together and they have formed this coalition, this massive army that's coming to wipe out this little nation that's invading their land. Then they're gonna go first of all to Gibeon, who they have made, the Israelites have made league with, they've made an alliance with, and they're gonna go and destroy Gibeon. And so Gibeon sends to Joshua and they're like, hey, remember? We said we're friends, we're in an alliance now, uh, could you come over and help us? And so Joshua, verse 10, chapter 10 and verse 8 says what God does. It says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. It's a pretty amazing promise. You have this massive army, five different armies coming together to destroy your your friends and then to destroy you. And God says, not one of them will stand before you. Joshua hears the promise. And verse nine, it continues. It says, "Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal." Now, sometimes we skip over the details in these stories, but but this was a long march, something like twenty miles, in order to get to Gil, to in order to march from Gilgal to Gibeon. So, so there's this long march all night long. Not only was it all night long. How many of you have stayed up all night? You've stayed up a few times. How about running all night long or marching all night long? Not so many of us have done that. Well, this was uphill the entire way. Do you imagine? Here they come all night long. They march all night long. They get to Gibeon and they begin to attack. Having marched all night, they come upon them suddenly. And then verse 10 says this, So the Lord, who did it? The Lord routed them before Israel. Now sometimes we read this and we're like, Man, this God is way different from the God that I read about in the New Testament. What is He doing here? Well, just a tiny little snippet. We don't have time to dive into that topic today. But just a tiny little snippet to to give you a a glimpse of God's grace in the midst of this story. Let's jump back to Genesis chapter 15. If you go to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16, it says this. He's talking to Abraham. He's just promised Abraham, hey, you're going to have mighty nations come out of you. You're going to have a whole people that is going to come out of you. And then he tells him this. He says, but in the fourth generation... They will well well actually verse 15 sorry it says that your people are going to be enslaved in Egypt but in the fourth generation after 430 years they will return here for what does it say there the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete Joshua is fighting against Amorites 430 plus years later And finally, they have fully rejected the mercy of God. Up until this point, their iniquity wasn't complete. They still had opportunity. They were still able to receive God's grace. But they have just rejected it. They've hardened themselves. And they have become such a problem on the planet. is is the only explanation that I can come to in reading about God's mercy and His grace. That in this moment, He steps in and they're coming to crush Israel. And He says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to crush my people. And so he steps in and he routes them. Verse 11 continues and says, And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horan. So in order to get up to this path, they the, the path on the way to Beth Horan, you had to climb another several thousand feet in elevation gain, another few miles. I mean, by now they have gone an entire marathon chasing these people and, and God is, is routing them before him. And then look at what God does as if it wasn't enough already. That the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiel. So, so these huge hailstones begin to come down. And if I'm Joshua at that moment, I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, God, thank you. You are awesome and you have done what you promised. This is, this is great. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to go home now. I'm really tired. I marched all night long. I, I've been chasing these guys. I, I'm exhausted. And so thank you, God. This this is, this is fantastic. But that's not what Joshua does. Joshua, I imagine him standing there on the ridge, and as he's standing there on the ridge, he begins to look off in the distance and he sees something. He sees that the sun is beginning to set off in the distance. And as he sees that, he says, No, God said that not a man of them would stand before me. And this can't happen. And so he does something that I cannot comprehend. Right, I, I've been I've been sharing this story for since since God first impacted my heart with it, and, and still it rocks me to the core to read what He does. Look at what He does. Verse twelve. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord. Right, he's talking to God like a friend, and he said, "In the sight of Israel, all right, all Israel's watching. He's talking to Yahweh, and look at what He says. This is incredible. Sun stands still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon." Okay, I can tell by your faces, you just don't get it. I need some of you to go outside and try this out for yourselves. Like, go, go talk to the sun, go talk to the moon, and, and see what it does for you. Okay, of all the miracles in the entire Bible, I cannot think of a more incredible, I shouldn't say incredible, but, but a larger miracle on a physical scale. I mean, just think about what happens, because it goes on to tell us in verse 13, it says this, So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Oh man, how does that happen? Have you studied astronomy lately? What does that look like? At bare minimum, okay, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that God had to do the smallest thing. That would be that he would stop the planet from rotating so that it appeared like the moon was no longer rotated. And it appeared like uh, the, the sun was no... So maybe that was all he had to do was stop the planet from rotating. It's going at 1,000 miles per hour. And in that instant when it stops, He also has to stop all of the atmosphere from spinning because it would immediately shear off every landform on the planet traveling at 1,000 miles per hour. And He holds it in place and somehow holds it in orbit and holds everything together, not just for a moment, but for His little child named Joshua, He holds it in place for 24 hours. 24 hours. Alright, this is a great thing to talk about on leap day, I just have to say. I mean, God worked it out that way. I was already planning to talk about it, but do you realize that you have an extra 24 hours today? This is incredible, okay? So, is this not written in the book of Jashar? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. What? This is for Joshua because he sees that God's promises, he wants them to be fulfilled. Wow! What kind of faith is that to just talk to God in the sight of these people and say, Hey, son, stand still. No big deal. What? Who has that kind of faith? Where did that come from? You know, I was sitting uh, at at some minister's meetings uh, back when I had first started in ministry. It was about six months into ministry and I was feeling a little sorry for myself. I was looking around and there were all these pastors who I thought, man, they have it all together. They know what they're doing with their churches. They know what they're doing in speaking. And and there are these awesome people. And I'm thinking, why am I even here? I don't. Who am I? I know what I'm going to do. In fact, I don't think it was just me saying that. But I just felt like God said, you know what, just sit down and read your Bible. <laughs> it was at the end of a meeting and everybody was milling around talking. And I just I felt lonely in a crowd. Have you ever felt that way? And I sat down... And I began to read my Bible. And I was just reading straight through the Bible, and so I opened it up to where I was at, Exodus. And sometimes Exodus isn't all that exciting. But I got to Exodus chapter 33, and it blew my socks off. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7, it says this, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. Okay, so first of all, I need you to tell me, where was this tent? Let's read it again. Moses took the tent and he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Temple of Meeting. Alright, so, it's outside the the camp, it's far from the camp, and he calls this tent uh, the Tent of Meeting. Now, this may have been before the tabernacle was built, and this is like parentheses here in Exodus. We're not sure exactly what exactly is taking place here because not all the details are given. But this story is here for a reason. Amen. And this 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 tent was put outside the city for what purpose? What Outside of where everybody was at? Well, let's see. It's called the, the Tabernacle of Meeting and it's, it's put far outside. And verse 8 says, And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. So if you wanted to seek Jesus, if you wanted to come into God's presence, you would go far outside the camp and you would go to the tent of meeting in order to meet with Him. Is that clear? Now the word here for sought, it's an intensive form in the Hebrew. The verb that's used here is like in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 2 where it said that David sought the life of Saul. Sorry, got that backwards. Saul sought the life of David. You remember that story? When when Saul is trying to put David to death, you remember what ends he was able to go to? How far he would go? I mean, he was willing to pin his own son to the wall with a javelin in order to get to David. He, he was willing to, to kill anybody to do anything to get to David. So, I'm not suggesting that you need to go out and try to kill anybody. But what I am saying is that this is an intensive form of seeking. This is saying, in order to get out to that tent... It, they went out to seek in an intensive form. They went out to, to really seek God. Amen. They really were setting their hearts on God. That's where you would go and it was far outside the camp. It was You had to remove yourself in order to get there. Remove yourself from all the busyness and everything else that was going on. Okay, so let's keep reading. This is beautiful. This is, this is church in the Old Testament. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose... And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. So Moses goes walking out into this tabernacle. And as he's walking out there, everybody is watching at their tent door. And as they're watching, it says this, and it came to pass that when Moses entered the tabernacle with a pillar of, with, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. You see this beautiful moment, everybody's standing at the door of their tent, everybody's watching, the clouds coming down, and God himself is talking with their leader, Moses, as he's there in this tent where you went out to seek the presence of God. Verse 10 continues, all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the door of the tabernacle, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. And verse 11, this is beautiful, catch this. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. God wants to be friends with human beings. This is incredible. God wants to be friends with you. We've been talking about that this week. He wants to talk with human beings face to face as a man talks with his friend. And, And what did this conversation look like? Let's just look at a few verses of of where Moses is talking to God just right after this. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 13. Moses is talking to God. He says, Now therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. You hear Moses' heart cry? I just want to know you. God wants for us to pray that prayer. I just want to know you. Show me now your way. Help me to know who you are. I want to know who you are, God. And then look at God's response. They're talking like face to face as a man talks with his friend. I want to know who you are. And God says this. And He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You want to know who who I am? I'm the one who is always present with you and who will carry you all the way through, who will give you rest as you go through the wilderness and all that you're going to have to go through, Moses. I'm going to be there with you, and I will give you rest. So Moses goes on in verse 18. He said, okay, now, now, talking face to face with his friend, please show me your glory. I want to see how beautiful you are. I really want to comprehend who you are, God. Show me your glory. God's response. Then he said, I will make all my, what does it say? Ah, did you know that God's goodness is His glory? The fact that He's good, that He gives good gifts, like we talked about last night, that He always gives good gifts and He never stops giving good gifts, that that's all He knows how to do with all of the infinite powers in the universe. That's who God is. He said, I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you so that you can see my glory. Have you ever gone to the eye doctor before? I just recently went to the eye doctor and it had been about maybe 10, 15, probably 15 years since I'd been to the eye doctor. Uh, I went because when I went to the DMV to renew my license, I looked in that little thing and they're like, do you need glasses? (laughs) Thankfully, I passed it and they gave me my license. But I'm thinking, okay, maybe I better go talk to a, a doctor here. So they have you look into this machine and I haven't done it in so long. This is probably familiar to you, but they're having you look through it and they're really tricky. They're like, "Okay." Tell me what you see. And I'm like, I'm really trying hard because I don't really want to wear glasses, just to be honest. I'm trying really hard so that I can read those letters and I'm trying really hard. Okay, I'm reading them. Okay, now try this. Now try this. Okay, one. How about two? One. How about two? And then she tells me something. She's like, okay, how does this look? I'm like, yes, that's it. I knew I could see. She said, yeah, okay. How about this? Well, that's actually the way you normally see. And this is the way that you see with a slight uh, prescription. Said, "Ah, Are you serious? You see, God wants for us to come to see Jesus more and more clearly. He wants for you to pray, show me your glory. A Signs of the Times article, October 17, 1892, says this, false views of God, and therefore of Christ are largely entertained today. Well, may we offer the prayer of Moses, show me thy glory. Today, this prayer needs to be prayed. Show me your glory. Because false views, misunderstandings of who God is, and sometimes we we cast bad light on the atheists, when really, maybe it's us Christians who misunderstand who God is who are doing the most harm on this planet. Goes on to say it like this: Satan is seeking to veil Jesus from our sight, to eclipse His light. For when we get even a glimpse of His glory, we are attracted to Him. Oh man, that's this is good news! God wants you to pray. I want to see your glory because when you recognize that who Jesus is, you'll be attracted to Him. Can you handle attraction in your faith? I mean, this isn't talking about mustering up something inside of you. This is like when you first fell in love with your wife and you said, man, she is attractive, okay? I, I'm being drawn. Not, not in the same exact sense, obviously. But, but, but this is talking about attraction, about being drawn towards a person who is beautiful. That's what we need to see. Sin hides from our view the matchless charms of Jesus. Have you seen matchless charms in Jesus? That He is incredibly beautiful? Prejudice, selfishness, self-righteousness, thinking that we have it all together, and passion blind our eyes so that we do not discern the Savior. I just have to ask you, looking at this picture, which is better? One or two? One or two? Could it be that we need to see a clearer picture of who Jesus really is, that He's longing for us to pray? Lord, would You show me Your glory? Would You show me how beautiful You are? I just want to see You as that friend that I can talk face to face with. Well, I've often stopped at that point in this verse. But that night, for some reason, that part didn't even register with me. I kept reading the verse. And I encourage you to keep reading when you don't get something out of, out of your Bible. Just keep reading. Verse 11, let's start it over. It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then what does it say? And he would return to the camp. Okay, so he's out here seeking God, talking to him face to face as a man speaks with his friend. That's great. But what does he do? He returns to the camp. Gets back about his business. He's got people to organize, things to do. Everybody else, I imagine, goes back about their cooking. It's difficult to be out in the wilderness and they're going through all these things. But look at what it goes on to say. But his servant, Joshua... Okay, this guy is a servant. He's just serving Moses. He's nobody special at this point in the story. We read about him later as this great hero who's standing on a ridge saying, Son, stand still. But here he's just a servant to Moses. But Joshua, the son of Nun, he's a young man. Do we have any young people here today? He's just a young person. Can, can a young person make a, a huge difference in how the world sees who God is? Amen. He's a servant. He's a young man. And he did not depart from the tabernacle. Amen. Where's Joshua? Oh, man. Where is Joshua? Is anybody tracking with me? Is he back in the camp? No, he's still in the tabernacle. He's still in the tent of meeting. He is staying out here. And what did you go out here to do? You went out here to seek God. To 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 let Him show you His glory. To to talk to Him face to face as a man talks with his friend. And Joshua says, man, what Moses has going on here, this is so incredibly beautiful. I'm staying here in the tent seeking God. Everybody else, you can go about your business, but I just want to be with God. And so I'm staying here in the tabernacle. Everybody else can go about their business, but I'm going to be seeking God. And God spoke to me in that moment and said, look, don't worry about what you have to offer. Just take time with Me. Just seek Me. Just be alone with Me. Just don't leave the tent. Take every moment that you can to spend with Me and I'll take care of the rest. Just yes. trust me and I'll make you who I need you to be. Amen. We've been talking all week about that it's not about what you do. This is good news. If you didn't catch this whole week, just, just remember this. It's not about what you do. I, I, I am standing here in the pulpit telling you it's not about what you do. Yes. Right. But it's about who you know. And who you know will transform what you do. And that will change the world. He did not depart from the tent. Patriarchs and prophets commenting on this exact story. A great commentary on these Old Testament stories. Page 509 says this, The secret of success is the union of divine power with human effort. There's this combination going on. A cooperation. Those who achieve the greatest results are those who rely most implicitly upon the Almighty arm. Can you do that? Can you hang on to the Almighty arm? That is what God is looking for. Not strong people, but people who depend upon God. The man who commanded, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ejelon is the man who for hours lay prostrate upon the earth in prayer in the camp at Gilgal. The men of prayer are the men of power. Joshua didn't just stand up one day and say, okay, I'm going to tell the sun to stand still. I'm going to talk to God today in this drastic way. No, he started by saying, hey, show me your glory. Here I am in your presence. He spent time and became friends with his maker. And that gave him incredible confidence. And if you want confidence in God, take time with Jesus. Take time to get to know him. Take time to ask him. Would you show me? Your, would you show me how beautiful you are? To be honest, I, I don't really recognize that. Or maybe maybe you think you do already, but maybe there's more because he's an infinite and beautiful God. Look at what it goes on to say, talking about you and me sitting here today. It says we are told of a greater battle to take place in the closing scenes of Earth's history. God needs Joshua's this morning people who will say, I'm just not leaving God's presence. I am maybe a young person. I may just be a nobody, but I'm going to seek His presence. I'm going to take time with Jesus. And As you do that, He's going to so transform your heart that you're going to become such a loving person that this world will be transformed. You know, Revelation chapter 18 says that there's going to come down this angel who's going to fill the whole earth with God's glory. And God's glory is His goodness. The whole world before the end is going to see His glory. You see, it can't be Pastor CEO, Pastor Zach, and a few people talking about how good Jesus is. Amen. It's got to be you. Yeah. It's got to be God's people saying, I will not leave His presence. I will stay until I see how beautiful Jesus is. Hallelujah. That's what God needs in the times that we're living in. Gospel Workers, page 255, says God's messengers must tarry long with him if they would have success in their work. And I love this. It goes on to to cite this story, talking about, hey, anybody that's sharing the gospel, they need to stay with Jesus. And so it tells what happened maybe over lunch after church. You know how this goes. Maybe here it's at dinner because you have a a great potluck. You wait till dinner to do it. But the story is told of an old Lancashire woman who was listening to the reasons that her neighbors gave for their minister's success. They're talking about the pastor. They're like, hey man, he's having some success. Why do you think it is? And they're listing all of his attributes, all of his qualities. And look at what she says. They spoke of his gifts, of his style of address, of his manners. Nay, said the old woman, I will tell you what it is. Your man is very thick with the Almighty. He, he's friends with Jesus. He speaks to God face to face as a man with a friend. I'm not here to tell you that this is me, but I'm here to tell you that that's who I want to be. And that's who I want you to be. I want you to be thick with the Almighty. And I'm here to tell you that that's what Jesus wants for you. Jesus exemplified it in His life. I mean, you look at stories like Luke chapter 5 when, when the crowds are pressing in on Him and it says, hey, Jesus would frequently resort into the wilderness. He would pull away, withdraw from everybody in order to pray. To be with his father. But then he goes on to say something to his disciples before he leaves in John chapter 15. We read it in our scripture reading. He says, Hey, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. And then he says this amazing thing. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You know, sometimes we try to win somebody's friendship. We think, man, that that person's really cool. I'd like to be friends with them if only they were willing. I have news for you this morning. Jesus is willing. He's already chosen you. He wants to be your friend. He's the one who's standing in Isaiah 65.1 like we talked about last week. He's the one standing saying, here I am, here I am, to a people who would not seek Him. Amen. He's saying, look, I'm here. I'm wanting friendship with you. Will you take the time to be with me? Will you take time to really get to know me as His friend? So I remember that later on I went off to Andrews University to get my master's. I'd been pastoring for a couple of years and I was sent back to get further training. And Lee and I, as we moved there, we were talking about what we wanted to really happen there. And I remember that another friend, he had gone off to the seminary. And you know what happened to him? It's in Michigan. It's really cold there. You can't be out in the sun and doing fun stuff all the time. So he just went to the gym all the time. And he came back and all of his friends were like, What happened to you? It's like, oh, I went to... There's not much to do there. I've been working out all the time. And he was super ripped. Well, you can tell that that wasn't my goal at Michigan because that's not exactly what happened to me. But when I went there, I said, well, I talked to another friend. I said, what if we had that goal of really getting, like, pumping the iron with God and coming out as, like, these powerful God people at the end? Honestly, I don't know what I thought that that would look like. I don't know if I thought it would be, like, you know... I'd be healing people everywhere, that I would just have these incredible superpowers with God. I don't know what it was exactly that I thought was going to take place. But God had far better plans than that. I remember walking into the first class that I took there. It was biblical spirituality. And they began to talk to us about having a friendship with Jesus. And they, they challenged us to, to have a partner that we would weekly ask them. And I, I challenge you, if you want to know Jesus... Don't do it on your own, but find a prayer partner. Find a friend and say, hey, would you weekly ask me how it's going with my relationship with God? And so we would do that. We'd go on a walk and say, hey, so how's it going with, between you and Jesus? How, how are things going? And we began to grow. Began to 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 ask God to wake me up in the morning like we've been talking this week. And, and I would talk to my friend and I'd say, hey, you know, I don't really like waking up early in the morning. I, I fall asleep. It, God wakes me up sometimes at 3, 4 a.m., and and I don't know what to do. I just fall back asleep. I really wish I could stay awake. I I used to do it for for basketball practice, but I don't seem to be able to do it for God. So he gave me some ideas. He's like, hey, how about when you wake up, you jump right out of bed rather than rolling over. Still, I have that problem. If I roll back over, back to sleep. I said, here, eh, 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 drink some water once you get up. And then I got the idea to take a shower and, and to do whatever it takes to stay in the tent, to stay in His presence. And that may not be what God is calling you to do, but He began to take me on a journey of saying, I want to do whatever it takes to fall in love with Jesus. To move the barriers from my own heart in order to really seek Him. And I have good news for you if that's your goal. Isaiah 27 and verse 5 says that let Him who would make peace with me... Now God has already made peace with us through Christ. But but if you want to make peace with God, you want to have a reconciliation between yourself and God... Let Him take hold of my strength that He may make peace with me. Grab a hold of God and say, God, I don't even have what it takes to seek You. I've tried. But grab a hold of God and say, I'm willing if You'll make me willing. And He will lead you to seek Him with all your heart. And history has been transformed by people who were willing to take time in prayer. You look throughout history and... and, I remember being there and and thinking about wanting to spend more time with God. And I read things that, that totally changed my perspective of what it could be like having a relationship with Jesus. This is about the Reformation. The Great Controversy, page 210. It says this, From the secret place of prayer, where? The secret place of prayer came the power that shook the world in the Great Reformation. Do you realize that the freedom we have in the United States, everything that we enjoy came because of the Protestant Reformation. We would still be in the dark ages. We would still have disease. We would, coronavirus would probably be the least of our worries right now if it were not for the, the Protestant Reformation. Amen. This transformed the world physically as well as spiritually Amen. and revealed Jesus. So, so the power that shook the world in the Great Reformation came from the secret place of prayer. And we'll, we'll back that up as we look at a story really quickly here. There with holy calmness, the servants of the Lord set their feet upon the rock of His promises. Just like Joshua saying, hey, you promised, and so I'm telling the sun to stand still so that you can fulfill your promise. They set their feet on the fact that God is faithful to His promises. During the struggle at Augsburg, this is one of the most intense parts of Luther, Martin Luther's experience in the Reformation, says Luther did not pass a day without devoting three hours at least to prayer. And they were those selected, they were the hours selected from those most favorable to study. Three hours a day? Are you serious? I mean, who could do that? Well, if you look at how much people watch TV, and I I honestly don't know how people are doing that, but sometimes it can be three hours a day that somehow people are finding time for that. Is it possible to find time in our day? You know, having kids now, things have changed for me. It's much more difficult to block out three hours early in the morning but I found that throughout the day I can squeeze in moments here and there. I'm brushing my teeth and I, I've got my Bible app out and I'm listening to the Bible. There's a gr- great Bible app, Dwell, that helps you to listen to the Bible uh, with music with it. Or There's lots of great resources like that. But listening while I'm driving, just taking every moment possible to be with Jesus. So so he took the hours that he should have been writing in order to make his defense and studying in order to, to explain why he was believing what he was believing to pray, to connect, with his friend Jesus. That was Martin Luther living in the the 1500s This is the early 1500s when this is taking place. And you know what took place in Martin Luther's heart? He went from somebody who would fast to nearly being at the point of death. He would flog himself in order to, to try to make himself feel more favorable towards God. He would do all of these crazy things in order to earn God's favor. That's what his prayer life was like. He said, if anybody was a good monk, I was the best of monks. I was doing everything possible in order to earn God's favor. And that's not what we're talking about this morning. It's not about trying to earn God's favor by going to the tent, but it's about softening our hearts by a God of love. You know, last week we talked about what do we see God as? And we talked about that lion coming down, Christian the lion. Sometimes my prayer life has been a little bit more like the circus than like the experience of John and Ace with Christian the Lion. You know what I mean? Have you ever been to the circus? I actually haven't really seen this in person, but I've seen pictures of it. So here's God, right? And, and we begin to pray these prayers. We think, okay, if I have the right words and I say the right things or if I do it the right way, if I fast enough or if I do, and I'm not saying that all of fasting and prayer is vital and essential. But somehow we think that we can win God's favor by these things and get God to jump in the right direction. Get God to move for us. I mean, it's like trying to get God to jump through just the right hoop. And God, look at this one. This one's on fire. Jump through this one, God. I'm saying the right words this time. You need to do what I'm asking You to do. Too often, that's what my prayer life is like. God, I need You to be better than You already are. When in reality, God is perfectly good. And what He's wanting is for me to connect with Him so that I'm brought up to understand what He wants and to pray for the things that He really desires. The book Steps to Christ says that prayer is not to bring God down to us, but to bring us up to God. Another way to word it, Steps to Christ, page 93 and 94, says this, Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Like Moses. And like Christian, the lion. Because sometimes we look at God and we think that He's just waiting to condemn us and we think that we've got to earn His favor. But what we need to recognize is that He's already chosen you. He's saying, here I am, here I am. And He's just longing for you to open your heart to be with Him and to allow Him to transform you. That's exactly what took place with Martin Luther. You can read some of his prayers. People would come up and they would hear him praying in his private chamber. Like this guy was walking down the hall and he's, he's listening in. I just want to know, what does Mount Martin Luther sound like when he's praying? And this is what it sounded like. In the privacy of his chamber, he was heard to pour out his soul before God in words full of adoration, fear, and hope, as when one speaks to a friend. I know that you are our Father and our God, he said, and that you will scatter the persecutors of your children, for you are yourself endangered with us. All this matter is yours. It is only by your constraint that we have put our hands to it. Defend us then, O Father." You see how beautiful that is? He is recognizing who God is. How beautiful He is. Martin Luther said this about friendship with God. He says God's friendship is a bigger comfort than that of the whole world. And he had everybody coming after him. He had all of these pressures. The Pope said, hey, Martin Luther is a wild boar who needs to be hunted down and killed. So some of his friends actually took him, they captured him, they put him in a castle... And then his friend Melanchthon is having to stand up for the Reformation while Martin Luther is in hiding. And so Martin Luther writes to his friend. His friend is stressed out. He's worried about all these pressures. He's got a lot of pressure coming in on him trying to fill Martin Luther's shoes. And then he writes this, Grace and peace in Christ. In Christ, I say, and not in the world. Amen. I hate with exceeding hatred those extreme cares which consume you. If the cause is unjust, abandon it. If the cause is just, why should we belie the promises of Him who commands us to sleep without fear? He goes on to say, Christ will not be wanting to the work of justice and truth. He lives, He reigns, and what fear then can we have? What fear? How about the Pope who says he's going to kill you like a wild boar? What fear? How about the armies that are out after to get you? No, he says, I have Jesus, and that's all I need. The friendship of God, he said, is better than all of the comforts of this world, more Amen. fulfilling, more satisfying than anything else. And Martin Luther found out that God is on our side. The the verse that transformed his life was that the just shall live by faith. He recognized that Jesus has already done it all. Amen. He's the beginning and the end of your faith. He's already accomplished your salvation. If only you will accept him. That's what Martin Luther found. And that's what we'll find as we go to that secret place in prayer. And God wants to transform our hearts. As I was taking that time and I began to spend more and more extended time in God's presence, I expected to become some sort of superhero for God and do all these extravagant things for God. You know what I began to find? God was so beautiful. And as I saw how beautiful He was, God began to convict me of some things. He said, you know... When you were working on that ministry team and, and you began to do these things, you might have been right logically from your perspective, but the way that you treated them was wrong. I need you to, to call them and apologize. Really? I, God, I, I wanted to know what miracles you wanted me to go out today and, and do. I wanted to know what incredible... And God was revealing that if you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, you're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If you have the gift of prophecy, you know all knowledge, you know all mysteries, you have all faith so that you could even remove mountains, but don't have love, it profits you nothing. Even if you give all your possessions to feed the poor, and you surrender your body to be burned, you become a martyr, but you don't have love, it profits nothing. It was like when you go to the doctor, and maybe some of you don't experience this, but being really white like I am, I go to the the skin doctor, and and looking at me, they say, "Uh uh-oh, that one's a problem. And a lot of times when I go to the skin doctor, they, they cut something out of me, and usually it turns out to be okay, but they're concerned about it. But I trust them with my body, because I know who they are. And when you come into Jesus' presence, you begin to see how beautiful He is, and then He begins to say, hey, you know, There's these things that are hurtful. They're hurting you and they're hurting other people. And I just want to help you in your life. And because you love Him and you trust Him, you begin to be willing to surrender those things to Him. Last uh, quote or so here that we're going to look at. An intensity such as never before was seen is taking possession of the world. Things are becoming like the dark ages again. People are losing their knowledge of a loving God. In amusement, in money-making, in the contest for power, in the very struggle for existence, there is a terrible force that engrosses body and mind and soul. Have you seen that? Is that real in the Bay Area? Is this relevant to what goes on in your life? It's a little hard to, to, to grasp anything else but all the busyness of life. What well, goes on to say, in the midst of the maddening rush, God is speaking. He bids us come apart and commune with Him. Be still and know that I am God. Would you take time in the tent? Would you go and would you be still? Would you not depart from My presence? Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. Real conversation with God like you'd talk to a friend. Not a pause for a moment in His presence. Not to just say, "Oh, Oh, yeah, Jesus, would You bless me today as we go through the day? But actually personal contact with Christ, to sit down in companionship with him. That's friendship with him. This is our need. And then she goes on to quote from Song of Solomon, which is this is just beautiful. It's this love letter that Solomon's writing. And it says this: Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in His shade with great delight. This is what Jesus wants you to experience as you come into His presence, as you sit there in that tent with Him, as you take time listening to Him, talking to Him. And His fruit was sweet to my taste. He wants you to sit in His shade with great delight. He wants you to taste and see that He really is good. He brought me to His banqueting house. He wants to invite you like Zacchaeus in for a feast as a friend. And then look at this. His banner over me was love. He says, I want to be friends. I want to fall in love with you. You know, if you just look at George Mueller's face, does he look stressed out? I mean, having to rely on God for 63 years in order to provide these millions of dollars, $150 million worth today, in order to provide for 10,000 kids, I mean, dealing with all the issues in the orphanage. You know, most people that got their picture taken in the 1800s didn't know how to smile. Well, they didn't know how to smile for pictures, I should say. (laughs) But you can see in his face, somebody that's at peace, somebody that's happy. Somebody who actually, he wrote at one point, he said, I make it my my goal every day to not leave my time with Jesus until I find myself happy in God. So I just don't go about anything else. Until I'm happy with my friend Jesus. Talking about friendship. He says, oh, this is a reality, not a fable. That the Lord Jesus Christ is our friend. We're not just talking about it. It's not just what the Bible says. But He actually wants to physically be your friend. We should not be satisfied till we are brought to this. Not satisfied with anything else but friendship with Jesus. That we know the Lord Jesus Christ experientially to be our friend and habitually to be our friend. That's what enabled George Mueller to be able to pray a prayer like that. Bless this food when there's no food in the cupboard. That's what enabled Joshua to stand there on that ridge and say, let the sun stand still, God. He was friends with God. That's what enabled Martin Luther to stand up against the Pope and the whole world saying, hey, no, Jesus is everything for my salvation. And he stood up because he was relying on Jesus because he'd been alone with Jesus and he knew Jesus. So we talked about it this week. How do we have this friendship with God? Talk with Him. Pray this prayer. Wake me up in the morning. Isaiah 50 and verse 4. He'll actually wake you up every single morning so that you can have time with Jesus. Cause me to hear your loving kindness and to see your beauty. This is another way from Psalm 143 and a couple of other psalms of, of praying what Moses prayed and saying, Would you show me your glory? I want to see how beautiful you are. Cause me to see your steadfast love. I just want to see who you are. These are amazing prayers to pray. Created me a clean heart from Psalm 51. What's on your heart for me today is another amazing thing to just ask God each and every day. And then, take time to listen to God. Open your Bible. Take time to actually listen to God. And finally, share and serve. It's really simple. And yet, if we were really doing it, if I was really living this every single day, I would be set on fire for Jesus. I would be such close friends with Jesus that this world would be turned upside down. And what He needs today is friends. And He's already chosen you. Will you accept His invitation? He's knocking at the door of your heart. Will you let Him come in? Will you take time to get to know Jesus as your best friend? If that's your desire, I just want to invite you to stand again as we pray together. And just to say, Hey Jesus, I don't have the strength, but You've promised me strength. I just want to stand here and to say, God, like Joshua, as for me and my house, we're Yours. We want to be friends with You. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You are incredibly beautiful. Lord, words fall so far short of how exciting it is, how beautiful it is, what Your love is like, how much joy and peace can come into our hearts when we experience this for ourselves. Oh God, I pray somehow that You would plant these seeds deep in our heart, that You give us a desire to know You for ourselves. And that we'd make maybe genuine commitments right now that, hey, God, I give you permission to wake you up to, wake me up tomorrow. I give you permission to give me that hunger and thirst for you to teach me how to spend time with you. God, we really want to be still and know that you are God. We want to talk with you face to face as a man talks with his friend. We want to be thick with the Almighty. Not because of who we are, but because of you, who you are. You are so incredibly beautiful. We just want to know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.